What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is the Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show, on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. A bunch of big news on the pro-life front. I, I usually talk about this stuff on Right to Life Radio, but this is this week is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which was yesterday. This week is also featuring the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. and the Walk for Life West Coast. I will be at the Walk for Life West Coast with all my buddies from Right to Life of Central California. That's in San Francisco every year. Uh, it's the big pro-life march in the western United States. Los Angeles also had its big One Life LA march. And President Trump is going to be speaking at the National March for Life. This is a big deal, and it really sort of highlights the way that President Trump is sort of a smarter politician than a lot of past Republican presidents in certain ways. In certain ways, he gets what it takes to actually stand with your base and get your base jazzed up and get your base riled up. President Trump is the first president to actually in person address the National March for Life. Um, Prior Republican presidents would always send a message of support to the National March for Life. Uh, They'd send their thanks and their encouragement to the National March for Life. But nobody's ever gone. And the Trump administration made a very concerted effort throughout its four years in office to send Vice President Pence came in person. President Trump did a video address to the March for Life live uh, from the Rose Garden that was broadcast to the crowds who are at the National March for Life, which you know starts at the National Mall. And this year he's actually going to come in person. So my uh, congratulations go out to my buddy Jonathan Keller and my employees Linda Talia and Monica King who are actually going to be in Washington for the National March for Life. So that is really cool. Now, President Trump's story of doing that, it, it brings up another sort of topic of news. It's this concerted way in which Pro-choice forces have sort of consolidated big business behind what they do. And I get this from CNN, which for some reason CNN is pumping up again now, even though this is an article from uh, back this past summer. And... What we see is it, uh, the CNN story. Top executives from more than 180 companies have a message for lawmakers. Restricting abortion is bad for business. Now, one of the things we've talked about on this show, I'm, I'm sort of starting to come around to a different sort of conservatism. 
that is looking a bit more askance at these major national corporations, these major national corporations for whom the Republican coalition has so long, you know, fought for them. Uh, Basically, the three-legged stool of American conservatism was always social conservatives had one leg, the shortest leg on the stool. Uh, And then you had sort of foreign policy hawks, people who took certain identified with conservative anti-communist positions throughout the Cold War. And you had this pro-business sort of libertarian conservatism that supported businesses and supply-side economics and trickle-down economics and blah, 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 blah. So this was sort of the three-legged stool of conservatism, certainly in the Reagan era, as it its sort of golden age. And the thing that I – now, I have always been mostly concerned with the social conservative side of things. Um, I haven't cared so much about the foreign policy stuff. I think foreign policy conservatism is does not know what it is anymore. After the Cold War and with the rise of several very questionable wars in the Middle East, there's a real question about what an authentic conservative foreign policy looks like. And we went from thinking it was this very hawkish thing about, you know, bomb, bomb, bomb and and – know, go after Iran and go after Iraq to now, I think there's much greater skepticism. And we elected a president in 2016 who openly expressed deep skepticism for the consensus, the national sort of foreign policy consensus. But that leaves the business side. We have continued to support the business side of conservative politics for, lo, these decades. And those have been the most significant wins and the most consistent wins that every Republican presidential administration has brought about. Reagan's signature policy achievement, more so than anything else, okay, yes, he did great for the foreign policy conservatives, frankly, he did not do a very good job for social conservatives, uh, whiffing on two of his Supreme Court picks with Sandra Day O'Connor and Anthony Kennedy. Although he did a lot of good executive orders and and signed, you know, kept in some good legislation. It's the business side that has won in every single Republican presidential administration. Okay. They won under Reagan. They got huge tax cuts under Reagan. They won under George W. Bush, slashing regulations, big tax cut. And they won again under President Trump. The one thing that Congress did in the two years that President Trump had both a Republican House and a Republican Senate was cut taxes, including a huge tax cut, a huge cut to the corporate tax rate. Okay, Corporations had been you know, taxed at more or less the same rates as individuals. And with the Trump era tax cut, they were able to slash that significantly to bring it to a level more in keeping with uh, the corporate tax rates of other countries. Most other countries in Europe had much lower corporate tax rates. So corporations have benefited every time a Republican presidency comes into effect. Um, when, as I said, in the two years when Trump had both, you know, uh, a Republican House and a Republican Senate, what did he do? He slashed regulations, which hindered business, and he cut taxes. Now, I'm not saying the tax cuts only benefited corporations, you know, as 
I'm someone who has very tangibly benefited from the Trump tax cuts. It doubled the child tax credit, and I, I've doubled the number of children I've had <laughs> during the course of the Trump administration. So I have benefited significantly from the Trump tax cut. I'm not totally slamming the whole thing. What I'm saying, though, is I have this skepticism about we keep benefiting these corporations, and what happens? These corporations keep supporting very liberal social policies. And this is a story from CNN. Top executives from more than 180 companies have a message for lawmakers. Restricting abortion is bad for business. And the CNN story goes on. Top executives from more than 180 companies have a message for lawmakers. Restricting abortion is bad for business. A letter endorsed by the business leaders appeared as a full-page ad in the New York Times declaring it's time for companies to stand up for reproductive health care. They argue that limiting access to comprehensive care, quote, including abortion, threatens the health, independence, and economic stability of our employees and customers. So it goes on and on and on. These corporations, which have totally bought in to all this woke, all these tenets of the woke liberal culture. They are now all fiercely pro-LGBT. All these major corporate entities, they're fiercely pro-LGBT. They're fiercely now pro-abortion. You had major corporations threatening to pull out of the state of Georgia if their bill to limit abortion after, you know, to ban abortion after fetal heartbeat can be detected. If that law were to go into effect, which it won't until there's a Supreme Court decision, Basically, all these corporations like Disney and all these movie-making companies were threatening to pull out of the state of Georgia entirely if that law went into effect. So here is the American right. Here are little you know, pro-life social conservative voters like you and me voting for Republican presidents who put in place all these policies that really benefit major corporations. And then these corporate entities stab us in the back. I mean, the thing that's so gross about this notion of all these major companies supporting abortion, I mean, they say that restricting abortion is bad for business. That's that's the dominant headline from the CNN story, which you can find this story. Uh, follow my Twitter account at Fresno Johnny. You can follow this story there. Literally, the only way in which abortion is, quote, bad for business. Literally, the only way is because it results in fewer of your employees taking maternity leave. Like, that's the only way in which abortion is good for business. It means employees won't take maternity leave. I mean, that's it. I mean, that, this might as well just be a big, elaborate way for corporations to say, gosh, it's really a bummer that we have to pay maternity leave. We support legalized abortion. Like, the, it's so brazen. I mean, honestly, if I were suing one of these major corporate entities, I would if I were if I were an attorney representing someone who's filing like a wrongful termination lawsuit, a sex based discrimination lawsuit, I would use this story as exhibit A, because I think that's all these corporations are saying. We don't like maternity leave. And this is how, you know, I've talked about this before on the show. The chief evil we are fighting against for example, here in California, is not with socialism, okay? Socialist Democrats, the sort of AOCs of the world, they're a small subsection. In reality, there's the more dominant 
and more predominantly evil liberal force that we're facing is this cynical union between soft capitalist liberals, not left, not leftists, but liberals, soft capitalist liberals, and the modern left-wing social agenda. Those two go hand in hand because there's nothing about the modern left-wing social agenda that is really disturbing or disruptive to capitalism. These people are sort of the worst of both worlds. They are greedy corporate jerks. And they are also amoral other kind of jerks. Jerks who support abortion. Jerks who... Uh, support the redefinition of marriage, etc. One of the things I loved best from Ricky Gervais being at the Oscars, I mean, or, excuse me, at the Golden Globes, Ricky Gervais talking at the Golden Globes, like looked right at, what's his face, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. Tim Cook, who is, you know, Mr. Pro-LGBT, Mr. Pro-Abortion, Mr. All of these wonder, oh, all these lefty woke causes. And Ricky Gervais looked right at him and said, you employ slave labor, you know, in sweatshops in China to make your stupid iPhones, and you come up here and you lecture us about, you know, about your various woke causes. I mean, he lo- he was talking right at right to Tim Cook and Apple. It was the most glorious thing I'd ever seen, just blasting Tim Cook right to his face. And that's the kind of culture that we're fighting against. Tim Cook is not an AOC socialist, but he has, I think, a far more prof- – he and the various major corporate entities like him, like Google, like Twitter, like all these major tech companies, like Facebook. A lot of these companies have a much more profoundly bad impact – on our society, with how they control information, with how they influence public opinion. Tim Cook is a far more threatening person than AOC ever is. Uh, you, you may have noticed people listen to this show regularly. I don't really talk about AOC much because I think all it is is just this vicious, psych, vicious sort of Fox News media cycle of like who started the outrage machine were were we getting mad at AOC or was AOC getting mad at us? Like, who gives a crud? She's a she's a first-term freshman senator, uh, uh, member of the House of Representatives from New York. Like, she has no bearing on my... She has about as little bearing on my life as any member of Congress possibly can. That's, I, so I don't talk about AOC very much. Tim Cook has a much more profound daily impact on our culture than AOC ever does or is likely to. Okay, until she runs for president in 2024, which you can bank on that. So all of this is to say, as you assess who you are as a conservative, and in this you know week of the March for Life and the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, this will be the one week of the year where Republican members of the House of Representatives will say anything about the issue of abortion. As you think about who we are as conservatives— Let's get to a point of realizing that the game has changed. Just as our, we've had to reassess who we are as a foreign policy power, we may need to also start reassessing economically the ways in which we benefit 
major corporations, major corporate entities that at the same time stab us in the back. They, I think, are probably much more threatening than the five socialist members of the House of Representatives. They, I think, are more threatening than a presidential candidate than a presidential candidate like Bernie Sanders, who I think has no chance to actually win in the general election and a pretty slim chance of actually winning in the primary. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk with Layla Micklewaite. Layla Micklewaite, who um, does a lot of awesome public advocacy work against the pornography industry. Speaking of major corporations that need to get shut down, uh, she's going to tell us all about it. It's a really interesting topic that I've, you know, touched on on this program before, and I think she has a lot of interesting stuff to say about it. Look, Layla Mickleway, she'll be joining us right after the break. You're listening to the John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeart Radio app. The new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. All right, we're back. We've talked a lot on this show about the public policy problems with pornography, how it feeds into sex trafficking and all kinds of other bad social ills, about how Attorney General Barr has been asked by a number of members of Congress to do more to prosecute acts of criminal pornography. And joining me to talk about this on the subject is someone I sort of found on Twitter, uh, she's the director of Abolition Exodus Cry and the president of New Reality International. She does a lot of work in the public policy arena in on questions relating to pornography and sex trafficking. Her name is Lila Micklewaite. So, Lila, welcome to the John Girardi Show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, I, I wanted to introduce you and your work uh, to our audience because I, I think pornography was more of an issue within political conservatism at, at any rate in the 80s and we saw like even you know the Reagan Department of Justice had an office for you know prosecuting you know criminal pornography for prosecuting pornographers who violated laws and the enforcement against pornographers has sort of steadily declined and it's become as a lot of conservatives have adopted sort of libertarian attitudes uh, the genuinely really bad nature, the really pernicious influence that pornography has on our broader culture, especially with its explosion in the internet era, I think a lot of conser- it's sort of caught a lot of conservatives flat footed and they because we've adopted so much of this like libertarian attitude of, well, if people are consenting to it, that's fine. And it's caught conservatives flat footed that to not have the sort of intellectual arguments against the really bad influence that pornography has. So Maybe you could just explain in basics what your organization does and why this topic of pornography and its relationship to sex trafficking, why that's such an important concern for you and the work that you do. Well, sure. Yeah, I think that um, one thing that's important to realize when we're thinking about this issue is that over the years, we've developed quite a robust amount of factual information about the harms of pornography. What if you could have a career? where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, 
cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. ...that has taken it, uh, you know, in studies, study after study after study, and that has taken it from a realm of being able to just combat this on the grounds of morality um, and often religious beliefs and things of that nature to really fact-based, science-based arguments for the public harms and human rights harms of pornography and the way that it's impacting society and specifically also impacting children in the way that they grow up. Um, You know, they grow up now on a menu of hardcore pornography, and we know that as a fact from the studies that have been done on the rates of exposure. So right. well, I think ta- it's important so explain, at the outset. Uh-huh. Explain, explain that to our audience, what you mean by that, because I, I think a lot of people, especially maybe older audience members who maybe they don't have kids right now, but because of the proliferation of technology, how young are we seeing kids regularly get exposed to pornography and what can that do yeah. on a young developing mind like that? Sure. Well, I'll tell you, I just yesterday got an email from a colleague saying that she needed help. Uh, A mother had reached out to her because her 10-year-old son had a pretty serious pornography addiction, and she was looking for a therapist. So, I mean, that's an anecdotal uh, story, but we hear lots of those, even as young as 8 years old, um, being addicted to pornography. Uh, But the statistics are telling us right now, if you think about, you know, kind of the global averages, we're seeing between 93 and 100% of boys being exposed to pornography and between 62 and 82% of girls, and that's in their childhood and adolescence. And you're seeing the average age of exposure somewhere around 10 to 12. Um, Usually before they get to 12 years old, they'll have been exposed to pornography on, on of the average. Right. And, um, and so if you just think about like the ubiquity of pornography today as opposed to what it was a long time ago, I mean, not even a long time ago, but before the, 20 years you know, ago, the yeah. age, age of the internet has you know, started in the early 90s. So in the early 90s, you had 90 pornographic magazines being published in the United States. Mm-hmm. Today, Pornhub alone, so this is just one a pornography website, it's the most popular in the world, but they have 42 billion visits uh, in the year of 2019. That's 115 million visits per day, and they have 6.8 million new videos every year. And so if you thought about that, just Jesus. put that in perspective. So if you started watching, mm-hmm. if you compiled, compiled these all together and you started watching them in the year 1850, you would still be watching them right now. Of course, yeah. That's how much... Uh, pornography is out there. Well, and, and, and as that's you, just one website. Yeah, and as you're talking about younger and younger kids getting exposed, it's not just getting exposed to. No, not that this is a good thing, but like peeking at, you know, an older brother's or friends or something, peeking at someone's copy of Playboy magazine. We're talking yeah. about not just yeah. na- nude images of people. We're talking about graphic simulated acts of sexual assault, uh, rape. I mean, explain to people that this isn't yeah. like, this isn't, you know, dirty this magazines. This is not dirty magazines. Your grandfather's Playboy magazine that you found in the shed. And he, like, that is not at all what mainstream pornography is today. So what you'll do, I mean, and I've done this in research for the book that I'm uh, writing that's coming out this year, but, you know, kind of getting into the mindset of a young boy going on Google and searching the word breasts 
or yeah. searching the word sex. And what, how, you know, how would that take me into the world of porn? And what you end up on is the porn tube sites because those are the first that will pop up and those are the most popular and they're free. So everything on there is free, absolutely free. And you go in there and the first thing that you're going to see, because now the most popular pornography out there is some of the most graphic, violent, degrading, dehumanizing, abusive sexual interaction that you can imagine. So just last week, for example, the fourth watch video on Pornhub, this place where there's millions of videos with over 5 million views, uh, 5.7 million views, was of a man who was, and I don't want to be too graphic for your listeners, but let's just say he was choking women, he was spitting on their face, Mm-hmm. He was holding their head down on the ground with his foot and, you know, penetrating them extremely violently, sodomizing mm-hmm. them. Um, and the basic point of the film was to destroy the women. Right. So, yeah, so that's the kind of thing that your 10-year-old boy is going to stumble upon when he gets onto Pornhub. Right. And, and so you know, to amplify of that, a different nature. Yeah, yeah. To, to amplify that with just a personal anecdote here for for this show uh, a couple about a month or two ago, I was do I was talking about this story out of Florida, a story that actually I saw on your guys website, um, a girl from Florida who was uh, kidnapped, put into sex trafficking mm-hmm. and she was only found because her sex trafficker had filmed a bunch of videos with her and put them on Pornhub. And in researching the story. I naively typed in um, Pornhub sex trafficking, thinking that that would get me to these news stories. And the Google results popped up, and I sort of absentmindedly clicked on the first thing. And I realized what I had clicked on was all of the Pornhub videos. It was a Pornhub page, and it was mm-hmm. all of their sex trafficking-themed videos. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a genre. Yeah. That's a genre... Mm-hmm. Of pornography that is apparently so popular, like my screen was just covered with images of flesh, basically, and I, I immediately like hit back, 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 got out of there yeah. as quickly as I can. But, but that's what we're talking. We're not talking about as as you said. This isn't you know Playboy magazine. This is really violent, gruesome, horrible stuff that kids are getting exposed to at age, as you said, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's important. It's super important for us to understand as like a basis of foundation for this conversation whenever we have it. Because when you just say, hey, live and let live, hey, you know what, just whatever. If people consent to it, hey, if they like it, what is, you know, it's not our problem. Mm-hmm. Just let everyone be and do what they want. But that is a very, um, I think, selfish, narcissistic, uh, shallow uh, way to view this uh very destructive force in our society today that's grabbing onto young children at such a vulnerable age, shaping their sexuality for life, getting mm-hmm. them addicted because we have the science now to know that this is an addictive substance, pornography is. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, it's, it's, it can ruin their life. But, and then also if it goes, gets into society. It's, it's what is causing our rape culture, our porn culture, um, you know, and we have this whole Me Too movement, and I say, you know, don't say that you're against, uh, you know, sexual assault and um, harassment, all this, all, all these kinds of things, um, but then mm-hmm. be okay with people getting their pleasure off of watching those same things happen to women 
um, in pornography. Right. So, so yeah, um, and, and yeah, that is that is standard. yeah, that's the incredible double standard of you know, rightly we have the Me Too movement protesting against these things, and yet we think it's okay to actively promote something that allows you to fantasize about those things. We're going to talk about that after the break. We're joined again today by Lila Micklewaite. She's the director of Abolition, Exodus Cry, and the president of New Reality International. She'll be joining us after the break to talk more about the topic of pornography as a public health problem. Why, you know, those of us listening to this who are conservatives, why we need to be concerned about this now. Kids 10 to 12 being exposed to extremely vicious, hardcore pornography. What should we do about it? We'll dig into that right after the break. You're listening to The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The Valley's new talk show, The John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. All right, we're joined today by Lila Micklewaite. She's the director of Abolition Exodus Cry, the president of New Reality International. She does a lot of great work in the public policy arena, talking about, writing about, and working against uh, the joint social problems of pornography and sex trafficking. Uh, Lila, where can our listeners uh, find your uh, your work and the stuff you do? I sort of stumbled across you on Twitter, but uh, let, sure. her, let her people know where they can find your work and support what you do. Yeah. Uh, yep. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, at my handle is just my name, Lila Micklewaite. And um, you can also jump on our website of our organization, Exodus Cry. That's exoduscry.com. So either of those places are a great uh, way to connect. Okay. And uh, if if for those of you who follow the John Girardi show on Twitter at Fresno Johnny, um, I'll. Uh, I'll have some uh, links on my Twitter page, some retweets of some stuff Lila's done so that you can follow what she does. Okay, Lila, one of the things you touched about, um, touched on in the last segment, was this notion that we have the science now to show that pornography is addictive. And there have been a number of states who have now publicly declared that pornography is a public health problem. And I want you to kind of dig into that a little bit more about the addictive nature of pornography and why these various states have recognized, uh, have started to accept that pornography, it's not just a moral problem, it's not just a societal problem, it's actually a health problem. So maybe dig right. into some of that for our listeners. Yeah, it's, it's, it certainly um, should be defined as a pornography as a public health problem or a public health crisis is what I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because we do have the science to show and the studies to show and so many anecdotes. I mean, if you want to talk about those, go for days, um, mm-hmm. to show the harms of pornography um, on society, on adults, on, uh, on relationships. But beyond that, children, the way that their sex- sexuality gets shaped, we call it a sexual template. So it, it creates a sexual template for children of extreme violence, um, of kind of rape, fantasy world of sexuality where choking is the norm. I mean, we've seen, we've seen just stories out in Teen Vogue and other magazines and um, news stories of, uh, you know, choke, you know, girls who are saying, you know, I, I'm so, I'm really upset about it is that when I have my first sexual interactions, I'm getting choked and they, right. and the guys think it's normal. They think I'm supposed to like it. And, 
Um, and newsflash: people like, don't like being yeah. <laughs> people don't like being choked. <laughs> right, but you know, and you can't blame a, a boy who grows up on this menu of pornography, where in the pornography the girls are acting and they're they're forced to in order to get paid. Right? Yeah, like this is like this is how like people it. this is how people have sex. Yeah, that, that's that's right. what they've and been they taught. Think that's what sex is, and so they go out and they act out those scenarios in their real life, and it causing a lot of distress, damage, depression, mm-hmm. um, well, and you know, actual harm. I mean, I read of a, a recent story last year, actually, of a girl who had a anal prolapse because of the aggressive, and she was oh, young, um, yeah. because of what was being done to her. So anyway, so we see this kind of thing happening. We also know that it's causing an extremely alarming rate of erectile dysfunction among young men and um, even teens. Mm-hmm. where this is unnatural. This is not something that's a phys- physical um, cause to it, like old age or blood flow or things like that. It's really a kind of a brain disease that's happening through conditioning right. of this hardcore material. And um, there's just been a lot of um, work done in seeing that this is, there's forums where by the thousands and even millions of young men around the world are are just, concerned and freaked out basically about the fact that they can't have a normal sexual encounter because they are only able to be aroused when they're watching hardcore, you know, fetish kind of pornography. Um, And so that's, you know, another part of it. And then we have Mm -hmm. the socialization part of it where it's normalizing rape, it's normalizing sexual violence. Right. Um, in our society. And we're seeing that played out on the beaches of spring break. We're seeing that played out mm-hmm. in our schools and our colleges where you have, you know, at Harvard, it was one in four women is reporting that they've experienced sexual assault. So, um, you know, we see that this porn culture is truly harming not only women, but also young men as well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, even gosh, there's just so much to it going beyond that. It's it's truly an addictive um, substance. It's a behavioral addiction. It's right. been recognized. And, and, and that's one of the things I such, that's one yeah. of the things I wanted to get into was in the sort of the four minutes that we have left. Some of the brain studies that have been done about like basically the way in which porn, the way in which porn is affecting your brain is very similar to the way that a lot of hardcore addictive drugs affect your brain. Like, and that, that's some of the research that's starting to come out. Is that correct? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a difference than a substance, but it's, it's a behavioral, but it releases chemicals in the brain. Like for example, dopamine mm-hmm. that are addictive um, because they're pleasurable. And then they, and, and they force, you know, kind of the kind of the definition of a, an addiction is something that you are compulsed to do, even though it has a negative consequence for you. And um, so what, we, what we're seeing is that the things that are happening in the brain um, when uh, watching pornography compulsively are the same things that happen in the brain with other types of addictions. So we're calling it a behavioral addiction. It's been recognized by the World Health Organization as a compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's an emerging science. But what we're seeing is by, you know, the, the thousands and millions that there are young men and even women who are becoming actually addicted to pornography. Right. And so when we look at other addictive substances, we want to keep that out of the hands of children. Of course. And I think we need to think about this in the same way with pornography. The last thing I want to get into with you in about the two, two and a half minutes we have left here, 
Um, the connection between pornography and sex trafficking. Now, a lot of one of the things you've really highlighted on your Twitter account and in the work that you've done is how the consent that porn actors provide is often woefully inadequate. Like a lot of them don't realize the true depth and extent and right. you know, physical seriousness of what they're signing up for. But I do want you to spend a little time because Fresno experiences really bad problems with sex trafficking, how porn and sex trafficking kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, they're inextricably linked. So first of all, pornography is what causes the demand for sex trafficking as we classically understand it in prostitution, Mm -hmm. um, in the brothels and on the streets. But beyond that, it's actually happening in pornography where those who are in porn, the women in porn, are often coerced into the situations that they did not sign up for. And they're coerced by, you know, economic means, by saying they're not going to get paid unless they do A, B, and C, and D, by even physical force during a scene. We've interviewed actor, performer, male performers who say, look, if I have to strong arm them, I'll strong arm them to get them to do what I want them to do. Yeah, that's that's called rape. That's called rape, right? That's fraud and coercion going on. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and that's the thing, like this notion that consent um, is like I, I think a lot of a lot of the sort of modern day woke lefty culture, it elevates yeah. consent as this idol. But consent is often not always going to be adequate to safeguard people. And maybe it's not the best standard for applying. Yeah, this I think it's a bankrupt standard for determining whether something is ethical or not ethical, whether it's okay or not okay, because consent can be coerced in so many ways on mm-hmm. so many levels. And I just, um, I'm really against the idea that the only uh, standard by which to measure whether something is acceptable is whether she's, supposedly consented to it. But even even in the legal sense, that's not even relevant. It doesn't hold up. If somebody's assaulted or injured, it doesn't matter whether they've consented to it or, to it or not. It's still illegal. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're really over um, using that that's argument. All right. Well, uh, Lila, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. One last time, uh, the websites for where people can follow your work uh, fighting against uh, pornography and sex trafficking. Sure, it's ExodusCry.com, and if you go on Twitter, you can follow me by at Lila Micklewaite, and it's L-A-I-L-A-M-I-C-K-E-L-W-A-I-T, and I'll be posting there. I have a book coming out this year. If you follow me, you'll hear about it. Wonderful. And well, we'll have to, to we'll, ha- we'll have to have you on before the book comes out. So anyway, sure. thank you so yeah. much, Lila, for joining us, huh. and we'll be right. right back. We'll be right back on the John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. This is the new John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. That's going to do it for us. Our thanks to Lila Micklewaite from Abolition Exodus Cry and New Reality International for joining us. Uh, that's a really important topic she has working against sex trafficking and pornography. We will see you tomorrow. We'll have some more updates, probably from the National March for Life and more. You're listening to The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app.